0: Yeah, we're back and we've uh, we've been out of our series in Ephesians Ephesians for the last couple of weeks. And um, so we're back there this morning. We're just going to look at a couple of verses in uh, chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. I I just want to spend our time this morning uh, around one phrase. Um, Just before we do that... Uh, let me let me repeat what David's already said. If you know any um, Portuguese-speaking people, and f- make sure that you welcome them to the church next week. With we a couple who've seen God do incredible stuff uh, down the Amazon, um, a wee place called Maues, down the Amazon, uh, a, a s- like for the last number of years. But even over over uh, COVID and all that's gone on over the last couple of years, have seen remarkable stuff take place, and. Um, and so Chino and his wife Jackie, they're going to be with us next uh, next Sunday morning. And so I'd really encourage you to be here to that we want to want to bless them and and encourage them and pray with them um, next week. And uh, just in case you wanted the whole week full, I have something for this Saturday. David gave everything from Monday to Sunday. So if you've still the capacity next um, next Saturday. We've uh, we've been part of pulling a group of uh, people together to be able to serve and work with the, the Ukrainians that are in our community at the minute. And so there's already 50 or 60 signed up for this Saturday over at the YMCA building uh, on Jervis Street in Portadown. And so we're really looking forward to that. And so if anybody's available, um. Like bring your kids along too. But if anybody's available to help, just serve food. We just wanna we just wanna bless and serve. And so if there's anybody's available to make, please make yourself known. Um, or if anybody just is, is willing just to come and serve the food, please do that. If anybody's willing to come and help out with the kids' activities, there's going to be plenty of them. Uh if anybody wants to come and just engage with the teenagers, uh, there's a few older ones, and it's been really difficult for the teenagers. Can I just say that like they have. The, the younger ones have, st- have managed to get into local primary schools. The teenagers haven't, and, uh, and just a wee bit isolated on their own and carrying all of the, the, the witnessed and the experienced. And so it would be great if somebody was available just to come along and even play basketball or play football with the, with the older ones. Um, anybody wants to help with transport, all of that stuff, there will be a role for you if you are available and wanting to help out, put it that way. So that's Saturday uh, 12 to 5 in uh, the YMCA, to, to serve and to bless our Ukrainian friends. Okay, Ephesians 4 verse 14 um, says, We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Um, Really quickly, I know there's some new faces this morning, uh, so you're so welcome. Thanks for being with us and worshipping together. Um, A lot of time to to go where we've been. We've been here for the last number of months, I think from the start of the year. Uh, But let me just say really quickly, the first three chapters, we spent our time looking at who, to summarise it in the briefest possible way, we talked about who God is and how he works. And so chapters four, five, and six. Uh, we're talking about who we are and the way that we work, and so the last time we we, we talked, we mentioned the um, the fivefold ministry we We, we spent um, a bit of time chatting around that. and can I just say we will we'll be finishing chapters nine ten and eleven of the book that we 're going through in our midweeks, and between the end of May. And the end of June, the last five or six weeks, we're going to give all of that uh, the focus and the attention to speaking more into the ascension gifts. These gifts that we're given, God is wanting to fill the whole universe. And in order to fill the whole universe, these are the gifts that he's given. The goal is to fill the universe, the means of the gifts. And so we're going to talk a wee bit about that in our midweeks. We're going to explore that. We're going to plumb the depths of that. Uh, just before we break for the summer. So, just to make you aware of that. But we suggested last week that this, uh, what we know and experience of God will be in the context of how we live with one another. How we know and experience, what we know and experience of God will be in the context of how we live with one another. And so this, phrase speaking the truth in love it's important to hear that this is not some some phrase that we can just pull out of the scripture and weaponize it to suit our to suit our needs to suit whatever to give ourselves a license put it that way to give ourselves a license to say whatever we want and so i don't know what your experience has been of this phrase I don't know if phone around the room, how have you, how have you heard it being used, or maybe even how have you used it? Have you used it as license um, within your relationships to say whatever it is that you want, and justify it by telling the person that you're just speaking the truth in love? The context of where Paul is, where Paul is saying this, is in unity. The heading of chapter four in any version that I've looked at is unity in the body of Christ. And so that's the context that Paul is speaking um, speaking here. Speak the truth in love. He's after unity within the body of Christ. In some ways, we have used this idea to divide. Paul is wanting it to unite I've just been struck by this phrase for quite a while. I was briefly on Twitter a couple of weeks back. There was a girl called Kate Boyd had, had, uh, had written this. Speaking the truth in love is not a tone, it's a context. That context is relationship where you've shown you love. Without that context, You're a critic and that's fine, but you can't dress it up as love because you don't have the contextual right to. And so I think that has been her experience and the little that I know of her and following some of her story. um, People have used license to tell her and to tell people what we want, what we think they need to hear. This is tricky this week. I'm so conscious of the complexities and the nuances with even opening up this conversation. Pilate, we we just we've uh, came away from the Easter story last week. And one of the things that Pilate asked in the middle of uh, all that was going on in Holy Week and Passion Week, he asked the question, what is truth? And it's really difficult to answer that. I think it's really complex. It's really nuanced. What do we mean by truth when there are so many different opinions on what it means to be a Christian? This is really challenging. It's really difficult to try and communicate this really well. But I hope you know me well enough now that my, my intention here is never to provide, to come up and stand up here and give you all the answers. Now I've told you what this all means, and now go and. Live it out. That's not what we're about here, I don't think. We're trying to provoke. We're trying to use what Paul is saying. We're trying to use the the words and the ways of Jesus to provoke us into into thinking, into working this out, into making this real for for us as individuals, but as part of a family on mission, uh, living and loving one another as best as we can. I I want to make this personal as well. I think we, what I, what I have done in my experience, I've made the truth, the truth has been simply, and almost exclusively about having accurate views of God. I there's been moments where I've convinced myself that to practice healthy faith is checking a list of the four or five, six or seven beliefs that makes sure that I am in and those that disagree are out. That's been my, that has been my relationship with truth, that my checklist of all of the right doctrines, the correct views, and if I have checked them all off, I'm in and those that disagree with me are out. And I want to be I want to be careful here. So I, th- I hope I'm self-aware enough, I hope I'm honest enough with you to, to know that there are moments where you have something you want to communicate and you can go to the Bible and make it say what you want it to say. But I've tried to go back and we don't have time for it this morning, but I've tried to go back and see what is, how is truth used throughout the Bible? And honestly, and this is where the conversation, I'm so willing for it to open up, there's almost nowhere in the Bible where it seems to endorse a view of truth as simply and exclusively believing the right doctrine. So if we to go back and look at the story of the children of Israel, and we see the word true being mentioned. It's always in the context of relationship. It's always about being trustworthy. It's always about faithfulness. Faithfulness and trustworthiness is what the Bible speaks. Uh, what the Bible seems to espouse when it talks about truth. If we were to go into the book of Proverbs, asking the same question, what is truth? That seems to be around our ethics, our behaviour. What is true is on our lips, and what's not leads to wicked behaviour. We could go off on a tangent. There was I was mentioned thinking of this last night. I mentioned briefly Delilah this morning. Even when it comes to truth, there's so many different ways of speaking about truth, even when we look at Jesus. So there's there is fact truth. There's things that are just factually true. If we engage with the parables, there's also meaning truth. Like so much of what Jesus says, the parables that he uses, they're not facts. But they're still true. There, there is meaning. There is rich meaning behind what Jesus is is communicating. And we also have wisdom truth. And again, we could we could spend our whole time talking about wisdom truth. And I mentioned this in the midweek one time. Like, what do you do when you come to Proverbs 26, 4 and 5? It says, answer a fool according to its folly, according to his folly. And the next verse says, Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Like what's true, what's right requires wisdom. It requires an understanding of the, of the, of the context of the moment. It re- it's, it's wisdom that is needed. As we have all of this, all of this complexity, fact truth, meaning truth, wisdom truth. My feeling as of have to get a big picture of this is that when it comes to the idea of what is truth, it is more relational than it is mental. It is more about how we live with one another than believing the right things. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, is a, he was a Danish, Danish theologian that lived in the 1800s. Um, and there's some of his story that just fascinates me. He was adamant. When it came to truth, he speaks a lot about truth, and he was adamant that truth was love in action. So Kierkegaard was about, he was around at the time of the, the period of enlightenment. This intellectual movement that became so much about the pursuit of knowledge and what we know. And I think Kierkegaard was, was pushing against that. And so he, he talked about, he was witnessing, he felt he was witnessing that uh, truth was slowly, unconsciously, Turning Christianity into a mental exercise, being a good Christian has become about being able to understand it and articulate it. And for him, he was pushing against that. And truth needs to truth needs to work itself out in love. It needs to be love in in action. Again, if I can continue to try and make this. Personal. I came to I, I out of really wrestled with verses, words that Jesus spoke in the gospel's like you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I felt years ago like my my desperate pursuit of knowledge, I was convinced that God's pleasure in me was believing the right things, holding the correct views, being certain, being a hundred percent certain on the views that I held. And in some strange way, and I don't, like, this is just my personal experience. I promise you I'm not using it to suit what I want to say here. But that felt, it felt more restricting than it did freeing. I felt the more that I was pursuing the right view of God, the, the further I held people at a distance. The less I felt I was able to love people without judgment. The less I felt I was able to, to, to just be with them and where they were. Felt it was my duty to, to tell them my opinions in, in order to help them have the same view that I had. Felt incredibly restricting. It felt like there was no freedom in, in that at all. I truly felt what Paul felt, that knowledge puffs up, but it's love that strengthens the church. And I felt like it was, it was a struggle for me to love people really well. To see that people more than anything else, they were made in his image and they were worth them dying for. In my pursuit of knowledge, in my pursuit of having the right view, the correct doctrine, I missed being able to love really well. I entered into conversations more, more desperate to prove a point than to love well. And there is moments I still look back and reflect on conversations with embarrassment because I felt I'd won if I'd proved my point rather than how well that person felt loved. And so, again, I know that, that, well, there's so many questions that can come out of that. So many things that you could like you could push back on and that is good and I'm up for that. Discovering um, that faith is not, I don't believe anyway, faith is not certainty in what we know, it's confidence in who we know. There's just something about about discovering Jesus again afresh and, and just being caught up in how he interacted with people and how he was with people, how he came alongside the marginalized and how the marginalized clearly felt in his presence. So it became for me, faith was not so much about certainty and what all that I knew, but confidence in who we know. And I think we're, we're, we're fine to, to keep uh, fine with that statement because I, and I've said this before, Jesus, uh, through the Gospels, Jesus asked 307 questions and he is asked 183 and he only ever directly answers three of them. So maybe this is really simple, maybe this is too simple, but it feels to me if Jesus, if Jesus, if the truth was about having the right views, about making sure, if we, in order to please him, we had to have the right understanding, the correct doctrine, or all our eyes dotted and our T's crossed, I think Jesus would have answered more questions directly. As there's moments that I just become like really frustrated by it within this conversation. Because I still watch. I still watch people tell, communicate in a way that is not loving. And I ask myself why or how or when did it become more important about getting right views than how we relate to others. How did that happen? And that will require... Us looking inward personally, of course. But I think it's a challenge for the church as well. It's a challenge for us to work this out. How did that happen? That it became more important about getting the right view than how we relate to one another. Again, I think I'm self-aware enough to recognize those times and even still today. Like, don't forgive me if you think like I've worked this all out. And I'm because I still have those moments where I N- step away and realize I am, I'm conflating my opinion with truth. And then there's moments, maybe even the heat of the heat of discussion or the heat of debate, that your ego wants to think that my opinion is always the truth. And that's what can sometimes happen when you get under pressure, or you're getting that, that sort of push back. Your ego ends up thinking your opinion is always the truth. And I keep bringing this back to the context, and we've been here a few times over the last couple of weeks. The context that Paul is speaking in here is unity. It's humility. It's gentleness. And this demands humility no matter who we are. We only see our slice of the world at our particular time. We only know what's going on here and now. And sometimes we, we elevate our moment. We elevate our culture. We elevate our, our thinking and our advancing and our progression. And C.S. Lewis called us out on it. He said you're chronological snobs. Whenever you think it's like your time is the time. Um, I showed a picture to Paul this morning that uh, somebody had done this doodle of watching the the movement of Christianity from from uh, from the beginning. And right to now, and in a classroom setting, the speech bubble came out saying, um, the movement should be glad that we are now here to help them see where they've been wrong and how we've got it all right. Words to that effect. And another speech bubble off to the side, isn't Jesus so lucky to have us? So it's just that idea that we we forget all we can so easily dismiss all that's gone on um, over the last number of years in different different generations, different cultures, different backgrounds, and we we cannot rely solely on our own opinions. We have to have humility. We have to be humble enough to learn from others. Have to be humble enough to trust others. Don't want to be guilty of being the generation that thinks we're the special ones. We've finally got it all right. Forget about what's what's been debated and what's been wrestled about for the last 2,000 years. I think that we can come along and think, oh, we've, we've got it right, leave it to us. Yes, Lewis was right. And I've become so much more comfortable acknowledging for myself and for those that I'm in relationship with, with that we are all on the process, in process of becoming. It's where we all are at, each one of us. I'm pretty confident that I can say that to every one of us. We are all in the process of becoming. And so I love what Paul says in First Corinthians. We could go to First Corinthians 13, verse 12, and this... Beautiful chapter on love, and in verse twelve, he sees, He says that we see in a mirror, uh, in a mirror. We see in a mirror um, imperfectly. We see in a mirror dimly. We don't have access to it all. No, I don't even think. I don't even think God would be willing to give us that much power. I'm not the stewards of all truth. That would be too much power. We see in a mirror dimly, imperfectly. That when he comes, we'll, we'll know more. And in the midst of all of that, there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And then First Corinthians 8, I know that I've mentioned this verse often, but again, it's Paul saying anyone who claims to know all of the answers, anyone who claims to have all of the truth, doesn't know very much. And he goes on to say, but the person who loves is who God recognizes. And I always thought he, I would get his attention if I knew and articulated all the truth, all the right views. I thought that's what he would recognize. But that's not what Paul's experience was. If that's the pursuit. If that's, the way, if that's what you're pursuing, if you think you can know it all, then you don't know very much. The person who loves is who God recognizes. Jared Bias, Jared Bias said this, Speaking the truth in love should mean we've earned the right to share our opinions and values with others over time. If we haven't demonstrated real and tangible love to someone, we cannot tell the truth, no matter what comes out of our mouths. Read that again. And test yourself, like, te- like, what are you reacting when you when you hear this? Speaking the truth in love should mean we've earned the right to share our opinions and values with others over time. If we haven't demonstrated real and tangible love to someone, we cannot tell the truth, no matter what comes out of our mouths. And as we continued to engage with what Jared Bias was saying, he, he talked... And again, it's his own personal experience. Maybe yours, yours could be different. I think mine has been similar to, to this guy Jared's. When he said that he's witnessed, he's seen, he's testified to hundreds of lives changed by human beings who have just shown up to love without judgment, without feeling compelled to speak the truth in love he then goes on to say i have seen almost no lives change when we begin by speaking the truth in love as so my challenge to us like there again as i said i know that there's complexities and nuances that we want to work this all out together but i do think there is a couple of things that where we can where we can all find common ground for certain and that comes that That is our, our motivations. What is your motivation for speaking the truth in love? And I think that's really important. Really important to be asking the question, do I value relationship with this person over getting them to agree with my opinion? Test your motivation. Do you value relationship over... Getting someone to agree with your opinion. And so there's motivation, there's also being conscious of the conditions for safe conversations. Sometimes maybe you're in an environment with a group of people and you want to speak the truth in love. And you're and you're pointing out one person, directing you're speaking the truth in love to. Whose reaction, if you knew them well enough, you know their reaction to being. Confronted in a group of people is not good. It's not wise. It's not healthy It's not good condition for a safe conversation That's why I think that that motivation and conditions are two really important things for us Whether you're agreeing with me or not. I think those are two things that we can at least uh, fully agree on motivation and the conditions for the safe conversation And So Peter finish with this Peter and Paul they didn't always see eye to eye. They didn't, they didn't agree on, on everything. But I think they were on a similar page when it came to this. And so I'll finish with what Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 8. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he starts with faith, but the end is always love and. That's what Christianity is. It's not a life of of black and white facts, getting things right. Christianity is a life of love, which will require challenge, which will require mess, which will require us pouring out our lives on behalf of others, It will require... Energy and time um, might require relearning some stuff, but knowledge is sti- like I still want to finish this by saying that these truth and wrestling through what doctrines. I love that. I absolutely love it. If I think for too often the emphasis has been on when it comes to this statement, the emphasis has been so much on the truth. And I just wanted to, to sort of redress that a wee bit or acknowledge that and put the emphasis on the love. Because knowledge is really important, but knowledge can be a tool that can go one way or the other. In a really unhealthy way, knowledge can be a tool that can u- be used for fear and control, to dominate or intimidate. But thank goodness, in a healthy environment, knowledge can be a tool for, uh, th- th- towards love towards humility and gentleness and kindness so father i thank you for um i thank you for your word and uh i I say i want to pray it really authentically that anything that's just that's just me and my bias and my preference god i pray that it would be ignored and forgotten um but God, anything here that is that is Holy Spirit led and driven, that God, that you would help us, you would um you would inspire and empower and God you just follow your leadings, we you follow your whispers with these people, people that are just reliant on your whisper. God, we sang something of that this morning and we pray that you would that you would speak the Holy Spirit in the church, that the church would hear what you're saying. And so, God, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, my rock, my redeemer.